podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another Anfield Index Extra podcast. I'm here again with Dave Hendrick, and I'm delighted after the last time just being the two of us, we have Stephen Bowman Adam with us again. How are we doing, boys? You okay? Great, yeah, I'm good, mate. Excellent. So we're recording this podcast on the Wednesday before Liverpool play Burnley. Their last game was obviously the infamous Alison Becker winner in the 95th minute which brought me back to the podcast we recorded in January where we spoke about was Alison Becker Liverpool's most important player. So thinking along those signs, I've not forewarned you of this question. Hypothetical, of course. Going into tonight's game, would you rather have Alison in goal with Reese Williams and Nat Phillips ahead of him or Adam Bogdan in goal with Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez ahead of him? I'll come to you first, Stephen. That's like the impossible question. Bogdan was so bad. But it's got to be Allison. He's just so good. So you, you're again that that ties in line with us saying Allison was our most important player. So Allison behind two lads who are trying their best. Don't get me wrong, and I've I've done some alright performances, but quite poor in regards to the caliber of centre backs Liverpool normally put out. Dave, Dave, what are you going with? Um, Bogdan with Virgil and Joe, or Bog or Allison with the two we've got currently playing? The answer is never Bogdan, so it has to be Alisson with, <laughs> with the two championship defenders. Because, like, as great as Virgil and Joe are, Bogdan is... I mean, he's he's a League One calibre goalkeeper on a good day. You know, like, this is a guy who was third choice at Derby the season before we signed him, but had one good game against us, and Brendan Rodgers thought he was a half-decent keeper. It's very true, and I mean, much as, as anybody with a pair of eyes that watches football will agree how good Virgil and Joe are, there is still likely to be a shot on target against them, and any shot on target against Bogdan has got a good chance of going in, whereas Alisson, you're a lot more confident with him saving and catching anything that comes his way, so I think we're all in agreement on that one there, which, as you say, just a nice little tie into the last pod on our discussion about Alisson. I reckon I'd prefer Enzo Perez in goal than Bogdan. <laughs> he really is. He's got to be one of the worst we've ever had, hasn't he? Definitely. Not just goalkeepers, players, in fact. So, if you're listening, Adam, apologies. But, yeah, you weren't quite good enough for what Liverpool were at. So, for those of you that haven't listened to the fantastic Scouted podcast on AI Pro side of things, you, you should definitely do that first and foremost. Dave, you did a recent one with Carl where you revamped the European competitions that I really liked. That was a great listen and, and some great ideas there. So, again, if you've not listened to that, please subscribe, go on the trial, give it a listen, and it's great. But what I thought we'd do, just mix it up a little bit and have a look at the League Cup. The FA Cup's the FA Cup. It's all the tradition, all the suits, all the big wigs love it, and we're not going to touch that. But the League Cup... As you and Carl said on the Scout Pub, there's not many countries now where they have a third domestic cup, but it's in England. England always likes to be different. They like to do things their own way, so it's there. So 
much like T20 had a big impact on cricket and transformed the game of cricket, I'm thinking something along the, va- along the lines of that. So let's be totally radical. Mix up the League Cup, be it we can invite the Scottish clubs down, we can play 20 minutes each way, anything you like. Just be as, as crazy as you like and let's see if we can come up with a competition that people actually care about. And much as if you look at the winners, the last, well, City have won it, what, four years on the road? Just to try and break that mould a bit, really, to just to make it more exciting and more viable for the view. So, Dan, kick us off. Any opening thoughts on that? Yeah, remove any team that's in European competition from the League Cup. Remove them straight away. Um, there's no need for them to play in the competition. It's just adding extra games. Uh, removing them would also open up the possibility that other clubs uh, could win some silverware. I'm thinking the likes of Newcastle, Crystal Palace, Wolves. You know, I think that would make it more exciting. People might say, oh, it diminishes it because the big clubs aren't in it. I don't really care. It's diminished as it is anyway because most clubs play reserve teams through the opening rounds. We've seen Jurgen Klopp just completely dismiss the competition as being in any way important. So for me, that's what I would do. I would automatically remove anyone. If you qualify for European football, you're not in the League Cup the following season. And then it's just open draw. And you go from there. And the winner gets a spot in the Europa League. That's the way it is now anyway. I just think it would mean more. I think it would mean a lot more if the clubs who don't have opportunities to win silverware at the moment because of the dominance of the big six. Now, I know Leicester just won the FA Cup, but that's once. Like, look at the other FA Cup winners over the last 20 years. Other than Leicester, you've got Portsmouth, who almost bankrupted themselves having that that level of success, and Wigan, who got relegated because their focus was on the FA Cup. So, you know, the FA Cup traditionally goes to the big six clubs, so does the League Cup. I mean, Swansea won it. I can't really, off the top of my head, think of anyone else that's won it outside the big six in recent years. So I just think it would create far more of a spectacle. It would give the opportunity for fans of those clubs to actually get to go to Wembley and experience what it's like to have a cup final. For the players, the chance to play at Wembley, the chance to win some silverware, have a parade, whatever. That's what I would do. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree with that. And I mean, if you look back, as you say, Swansea won it in 2013 against Bradford. And you go back 2017, Man United beat Southampton. And 2020, City beat Aston Villa. But other than that, I mean, you can probably discount Arsenal at the moment from a big club. But it's always, it's Chelsea, Tottenham, Man City, Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea. And again, this year, Man City, Tottenham in the final again. So much as you said, the big clubs are playing their reserve teams and not really caring about it. They're still making and contesting the final. And I like the way you sort of said it was the European teams that are discounted. So when you don't get the the upset, if you like, that the European Super League caused with just this big six, it is you are almost, you escape it on merit so much as it's still up in the air with the top four, but it doesn't matter. Leicester are going to be in Europe. So it's Leicester that would be out of the League Cup, but Arsenal would still have to play in it. And perhaps Everton or Tottenham, depending on who misses out in Europe. So there will still be big clubs there for a draw for a, 
a Barnsley, a, an Ipswich, a Colchester, whoever, if you like, to, to still get that draw of going to a Premier League club and getting the money that way. And yeah, I think that's a great idea. Stephen, anything you'd like to add? Anything else you want to change, add? Yeah, I mean, my unsensible response was going to be following the weekend. It should be rush goalies. Make a bit more exciting. Like but um, Absolutely, think, that's a great shout. But I think, I think what I was going to say was actually similar to Dave, but not quite the same as rather than having it so you took out all the big clubs because I think some of the lower league teams want to go to Anfield and Old Trafford. But you make it that all the teams that qualify for Europe have to have like an, you know an Olympic-style quota where they field X amount of under-23s and they're only allowed to have three senior players. So the small, the smaller, you know, quote-unquote teams get to play at the big stadiums and get to see some of the big players and compete against them while also levelling the playing field a little bit. And also for the clubs in Europe, it forces them to develop some of their younger players. Like, you know, we've got, even at Liverpool, we've got players like Echo and Curtis Jones. And I know he's older, but like Tomiskas, that would, would have been nice to have seen a bit more of this season. And I think if you force bigger clubs to take their seniors out of the team and make them compete, it could be quite fun. Good. Yeah, so just to jump in on that one, like we have to name, every club has to name a 25-man squad for the Premier League, but then obviously you can dip into your youth team for that. How about, just off the top of my head, seven players, all the top teams have to name seven players that they're not allowed to play in that competition, which most clubs don't anyway. So Liverpool, you could say Virgil, Joe Gomez, Thiago, Fabinho, Mo, Bobby, under any circumstances. Then how do you define the big clubs? Do you just say the big six? Because then what do Leicester do? Leicester will be in Europe. Maybe the European West Ham teams. Could be in Europe, but then they don't. But they don't yeah. have. They don't have the squads to do that. Like West Ham Very can't. True. West Ham can't leave seven first team players out and think that they've got any chance. They might as well just throw the game. Very true. That's, you know, I so suppose that's where they, it does just get a bit problem. I I do like the idea, and you know maybe maybe you do mandate that the Premier League clubs, all of them top to bottom have to do something in regards to the, the League Cup where they all have to, in an 18-man squad, they all have to include nine academy players or nine players under the age of 23. Do you know? Maybe you can do something with that, but I just think if you say you can't play these seven players, you might as well just say to them, look, just don't bother. I think even just on a match day score, because teams get injuries, suspensions, you just have it on your match day 18 that you've got to have, you can't have more than three, you know, players over a certain age rather than, because there are plenty of teams that will have first team players who are 23 and younger, so you're not saying take out your best players, you're just saying you can only play three of these and you need to give your younger players a chance. That was more sort of my thinking with it. So the only problem, again, just, just to use West Ham as an example, if you look at their first team, the only first team regular starter they have who's under the age of 23 is Declan Rice. Everyone else is 25, 26, pushing 30. That's their own fault for poor squad management and succession but management. They'll argue it's not poor squad management because they're sixth in the league or seventh in the league. So they'll say, well, we've built our squad really well. 
we've got one of the best squads in the league. Now you're taking away one of the few avenues of potential success that we have, an avenue into Europe. Like, I do like your point, and I, I like the idea. I just don't know that that can be implemented because some squads are just built differently. Like, some, like you look yeah. at Burnley, they've got a, quite an old squad as well because of how they play and how their budget works. They want experienced players who they know will give them certain things rather than relying on young players. And again, with them, the only regular starter they have under the age of 23 is Dwight McNeil. Everyone else is sort of into their late late twenties, and and ourselves as well. I mean, Klopp. That's what Klopp wants. Klopp wants players twenty five and onwards. It's rare enough you see us now go and get a twenty year old or twenty one year old who we're going to bring in and play regularly. It's Kanate is going to be a you know an outlier from that, but he's a special case. But when we bought Virgil, Mo, Mane, Bobby, all of these guys, we were buying them kind of 24, 25, just about to enter their peak. A lot of clubs profile like that, that that's, that's what they want. They want these players who are all entering their peak at the same time. Squad building's weird. Like it's, there's, there's no real right way or wrong way, but if you don't have city levels of cash, a lot of clubs will lean towards let's go and get experienced players who we know will keep us in the league or we know will get us, you know, fourth or we know we'll finish mid-table, whatever it is that their ambitions are for the year. But I mean, to counter that, Dave, if you look at West Ham and Leicester, they're going to they're going to struggle across four competitions if they're in Europe next year anyway, through the number of games. So all you're doing is insinuating to the people who built the squads, to the managers and directors of football, is that we want to see your best players in Europe and we want you to use the League Cup to give younger players a chance while also making sure that, you know, Leighton Orient can get drawn against West Ham and have a big payday if they get a home match, you know. But isn't that just what we see now anyway, though? Like, when Liverpool play in the League Cup, they do play largely kids, same with United City. The, the only issue I have with that is it tends to just make, the squads of the big six, the top six, however you want to describe them, stronger and then weaken the competition, if you like, because much as Man City don't take it seriously, they have won it the last four years and it gives him chance to blood players like Foden, even like Ferran Torres that hasn't been a regular starter in the league, gets those minutes in the League Cup and then when they're needed in the league, they're fresh and they're ready to go and ready to play and we've seen sort of that detriment to Liverpool when Shaq came on on the weekend and he hadn't played for so long. He looked so far off for pace. The way it is at the moment just seems to make the elite even more elite and I don't know what the answer is but to try and make that so a Newcastle an Everton, a West Ham are competitive and even if they get to the final but at the moment they're not even getting near the final. I don't know, I just I'd like to see more teams get the opportunity to win things. Like, the FA Cup has been diminished with the way they've changed the semi-finals, the fact that it's going to be a midweek competition moving forward, the fact that the final isn't the final game of the season. You know, it's just a random Saturday stuck between a bunch of Premier League games. So they've diminished the shit out of it, but 
Leicester don't care. Their fans don't care. That was massive for them at the weekend. And I, you know, I think when you see that that kind of reaction, and you see Leicester fans even after last night when they've lost to Chelsea, and top four now looks a little bit unlikely for them, back to back bottle jobs by Brendan. But their fans are like, well, look, we won the FA Cup. You know, we we know what it's like to play in the Champions League. We were there a couple of years ago. We think we'll get there again. We've never won the FA Cup before. You know, you tell Swansea fans that their effort, that their League Cup matters less because they beat Bradford in the final rather than, you know, a Premier League club. They they they, they won't care. Like, I, I think you just have to make this competition worthwhile to the majority, even if it, it's meaningless to some, even if some fans turn their nose up at it. Like, do you think if Tottenham had won it this year, they would have cared about anything other than the fact that they'd finally won a bit of silverware for the first time since 2008. Like, you look at Blackburn winning it in 2002. That's their last great memory that their fans have because otherwise it's just been, you know, reams and reams of horrendous relegations, ownership nonsense, whatever. Oxford in 86... Swindon in 69, Sheffield Wednesday back in 91, Luton Town in 88, Stoke in 72, Leeds in 68, QPR in 67, Middlesbrough in, in 04, like, Borough lost two cup finals in a year, lost a European final, but they won that one, and that's the one that matters to them. I just think whatever, whatever changes we make to the, or not we, obviously, but Whatever changes the, the governing bodies make to this competition, they have to make it matter to the majority. Not all the clubs, but the majority of the clubs. Because regardless of what we might think in our own little bubble, supporting one of the biggest teams in the country, if not the biggest team in the country, there's far more other clubs than there are clubs on our level. So even if the clubs of our level are taken out or, or like, like Stephen suggested, forced to play uh, an under 23 variation. And we say, well, the competition doesn't matter. That's fine. It might matter to us, to Arsenal, to United, to City, to Chelsea or Spurs, but to all the other clubs in the football league, to all of them, it will matter. And if their club could win it, like that could be literally the greatest day in the history of them supporting that club. Like, there's a whole generation of Everton fans that have never seen their team win any silverware because it's been 26 years. Just to repeat that, it's been... <clears throat> it's been 26 years since Everton won anything. And, like, there's a whole bunch of them that would just love to see their team go to Wembley, lift a cup, have something to celebrate. And... In typical Everton luck, they would win the League Cup the same year we won, like, the Premier League and Champions League double. But that wouldn't matter to them. They would just be able to focus. And we won something. For one weekend, we were the focus. And we were the think, team that mattered. Do you think Everton would care if it was Liverpool or City under 23s that they beat in a final? No. They wouldn't give a monkeys. They'd be happy Not to win. shit would they care. They wouldn't care if it was Liverpool under-23s, Liverpool first team, or Tranmere Rovers that they beat in the final. Exactly. They wouldn't care. As long <laughs> as they get that trophy, get to bring it home, 
have a parade, and they should have a fucking parade. Because, again, it's been 26 years. They should have a parade. Whoever wins it should have a parade. Now, obviously, you know, when City win it, there's, there's not going to be a parade because they'll parade at the end of the season. They'll bring it out with their, their league title. But for other clubs that aren't going to win the league, that aren't going to win the Champions League, this is a great opportunity for them. And not just that, but then the joy of, well, it's not just that we've won a cup. We're going into Europe next year. And we're going into the Europa League. We're going to get to go to mad places. You know, we're going to be in Quarabeg. And we're going to go to Kazan in Russia. Or we're going to go to Tbilisi. Or wherever the fuck you get drawn. Minsk. Like, mad places that otherwise you'd probably never go. You know? Like, that would that's that's the joy of it. Winning it, getting to celebrate it. And then the following year, getting to reap the rewards, which is that European adventure. Now... Again, knowing Everton, they'd get bounced out in the first round of the Europa League, having drawn like Aberdeen or somebody. Um, but at least they'd get to go to Scotland for a day. But I mean, going back yeah, to the point I mean, about the look, ages... Sorry, Steve. Like, if you go back to the ages thing, if you look at the cup final, City had one player under 23 started, none on the bench. Like, no one came on. Spurs had one player under 23. Like... The big teams win it because when they get to the quarterfinals, they revert back to type. Fernandinho, Silva, Gundogan, Laporte, Diaz, De Bruyne, all started. You know, Harry Kane, Gareth Bale, Hoiberg, Son, like all their top players started for both teams. And if you stop the teams competing in Europe from being able to play all of their superstars, if a smaller team gets to the final, if a Wigan or a Tranmere or a Millwall, or even a Steve Bruce team of any, you know, average crappy English club at the moment because he'll get a job wherever he goes. You know, if they get to a final, they'll have a chance of, because they'll have some senior players, but you'll also have some excited young players who may not get the chance to play in a cup final for the team they are employed by. So I think you could still keep it exciting. And if the bigger clubs get towards the end of the competition... The clubs with weaker squads that aren't in Europe have got a, have got a fighting chance against them, while they still get to go, as I said, to Anfield, to Old Trafford, like they still get to go to these big stadiums and have the opportunity to play a cup knockout game against some of the best players, but in front of those big packed filled stadiums, like you know, you go to Anfield, is a punch under twenty three. Do you think the cops going to be any quieter? If anything, it'll be louder because they'll be wanting the youngsters to, to succeed. And, you know, a smaller quad, squad squad, or team from a League 1 or League 2 getting to go to that atmosphere, they'd absolutely love it because they won't see that again. And the senior players might feel more confident. They might feel they have a chance because they've got experience and now that some of them, you know, they might see the younger teams as being naive and they'd be more willing to have a go. Whereas at the moment, they kind of don't necessarily do that unless they know they're playing a younger team. Yeah, and if you think back to 2012 when we won it under Kenny, we weren't by any means competitive in the Premier League or we weren't in Europe at that time. And much as it was only Cardiff we beat, I remember that day and I celebrated that. Like we'd won the league, we hadn't won a trophy for a few years. It was a, a great day out at Wembley and it was a trophy and that was our eighth, which is the record, which Man City have just equaled now eight times, so I completely agree with what you're saying, Dave, that an Everton, a West Ham and Newcastle, if they were to win it, 
it's a trophy. They don't win trophies and they would celebrate it like it was the best trophy in the world. It, it is a big day out. It is a experience and it's something to behold and savior. So yeah, I think it should be as open for as many clubs as possible to win it and not just the usual monopoly of a, the biggest and best clubs competing for it. But you also stop United getting knocked out of the Europa League or Champions League, you know, whatever it is, what that season, and suddenly playing all the best players because they've had a terrible, you know, Champions League group stage and they've come third. It stops clubs from suddenly going, oh, well, we've caught up in Europe, it's fine, we'll go in the League Cup. Yeah, very true. So we've, we've all sort of agreed that we want to make it not easier, but attainable, if you like, for the smaller clubs. But one idea I had that I think we'll, we'll kibosh now was to make it a British Cup because we always get these arguments of Rangers and Celtic joining the Premier League. So I know we've sort of gone past that now, but what, what would your thoughts be on making it a British Cup? See, the thing is, I, if you're bringing in Rangers and Celtic, like, are you going to submit them to the same? Like, would you would you say to them, okay, you can only play uh, three over twenty three players? Because it, like, I don't know if they'd be willing to do it in that case because they wouldn't have much of a like they wouldn't have much of a hope at all. Because let's be realistic about what Rangers and Celtic are; they're championship level teams. That's what they are. They're championship level teams. They have the odd Premier League caliber player. Like you look at the Celtic team, there's a couple of Premier League caliber players. It's largely championship caliber football. It's the same with Rangers. And the entire rest of the league is League One teams. And then if you go into their lower league teams, the Scottish Championship is League Two level. The Scottish Division One is conference level. So I just don't know you get the quality involved. Now, what you could do is you could maybe you could do it by region maybe. Maybe separate it up into regions. So have like the northern clubs like Newcastle, Sunderland, Borough, uh, whoever else is that, Carlisle, people way up north that no one cares about. Stick them into like a region with the Scottish clubs where, you know, two clubs come out and they'll go into a, a last eight or whatever, you could have uh, a Western region with the Welsh clubs, including the Welsh clubs that play in England, but also the likes of Barrytown and whoever else. Um, and then, I don't know, you could probably stick like Liverpool, Everton, Tranmere, United, those type of clubs in with them. Bristol, Bristol Rovers, Plymouth. Uh, you could do a central region, which would be kind of all the Midlands, Yorkshire, down as far as Watford, maybe not as far as Watford, but you know what I mean, that kind of region, take in Norwich, take in Ipswich, and that's your central region. Then you could have a southern region, which is like London and the south coast, or the, the eastern half of the south coast. And maybe you just do a knockout tournament from there. I, I don't know how it would work with a British club, though, or with a, with a British cup, because there'd be so many teams, there'd just be so many teams that you'd probably have to start it. I think you'd have to start it in like late July and okay. run it all the way through to like April. So how about this then as a, as a mini compromise? If if we eliminate 
50 English clubs that have qualified for Europe. So what's that, six clubs traditionally? Six or seven. seven. And just bring the top six clubs that have finished one to six in the Scottish Premier League and just bring them in. What about those clubs that are in Europe? So that's the thing, Rangers and Celtic are going to say, well, no, because we're, you know, we've you, got European I'm sure football. They, they'd, they'd want to compete, so that rule doesn't apply to Scotland. So the top six or seven clubs from Scotland just replace the top six or seven clubs from well, the I don't Premier think, League. I don't think Rangers and Celtic would want to. Yeah, I, I don't think, think like, Even the Europa League, like, that was such a big thing for Rangers fans. I've got plenty of friends who live up in and around Glasgow and like seeing how far Gerrard's gone in the last couple of seasons, they have it has been massive for them watching them they play good football and do well in the Europa League and they would much rather be watching Rangers go to Lisbon and Belgrade than Ipswich. Yeah, very true. I mean it's it's a tricky one, isn't it, to get it right and we're we're just gonna go around in I circles. think you could make the FA Cup a British Cup easier than you could do it with the League Cup. Because of the format of the FA Cup with the qualifying rounds, I think it would be easier to do with the FA Cup, bring Rangers, Celtic, and the and the rest of the teams in, you know, where where they only come into the competition, say, in January. I think you could work it easier that way. You'd have to add probably an extra round somewhere. But I do think it would be easier to do with the FA Cup than the League Cup. Just because of the way they try and get the League Cup over really early, and you have to you have to, like you have to just give everybody full go into round one, whereas with the FA Cup, the qualifying rounds and that mean that you know you don't see the first round proper doesn't kick off till when is it like late late October? So you've got all those qualifiers. You can play them early on. You could scrap the Scottish FA Cup. Um, I think the FA Cup will be easier than the League Cup just because the League Cup starts so early and ends so early. I I don't think it'd be feasible. With the FA Cup, it probably would. No, that makes sense. So let's let's turn it on its head a bit and be a bit mad here. And so, is there anything crazy you'd want to do, like instead of throw-ins, have kick-ins? Or I think an, an obvious one for most people would be to scrap VAR because nobody really enjoys or likes that. Or something completely bonkers and off a park, like you're only allowed to pass the ball forwards. I don't know, anything bonkers or crazy like that that you want to do to... Let's reinvent it, like like I said, like cricket did with the T20 Cup format. I'd scrap offside because referees are making it up anyway. They you are. Want and I you want it to be fun. You want people want to watch loads of goals, and it'd make it an interesting tactical battle. For what do you do when someone just has a player hanging around on the goalpost, but then there are man down in other parts of the pitch? So it wouldn't. It wouldn't be like kids in the park, but you would take away so much of the ambiguity and animosity that are caused by it's not even just VAR, right? Referees and linesmen get it wrong all the time. They got it wrong before VAR which is why we've got VAR, and all VAR has done is proven how bad they are at getting it right. It's not the technology's fault, it's the people looking at it can't draw a straight line or understand the rules of the game they officiate, so the so only thing I I jump in on that, much as I agree with a lot of what you'd said, I think the problem would become where you look at a goal like the one that West Brom scored against us, and I fully agree with what Dave said on Raw. That was an obvious offside. He was stood in front of Allison, blocking him. So in a 
set play almost like that, I think that's where it would cause problems more than than in open play when but that is the a half job to make sure no one stands in front of the goalkeeper, protect them. Yeah, but then you'll just get teams will put a load of their small players stood on the goal line, so you'll have to bring players back to defend against them, and then they'll just have their better headers free in the box. Just be chaos. That was all. An idea for chaos, something that would just made it <laughs> full of goals and madness. See, like, there, there are training. things you could do. Like, you can use the League Cup to experiment. So when VAR was been introduced, it should have been introduced in the League Cup and run in the League Cup for two years so that they could get it right. The problem with VAR isn't VAR. It's the idiots that implement it. The, the, the VAR system, the idea of VAR is something that can really benefit the game. The problem is you've got referees as VAR who aren't going to go against their mates. And even when there's a bad decision, they can see it's a bad decision. They don't overturn it. They send it. They, they say, oh, go and have a look at it yourself and see what you think. Because they don't want to embarrass their friends. Especially if it's a VAR who's a younger referee and the match referee is a senior referee. They're not going to risk getting on the wrong side of somebody by, by making them look foolish on television. What you could do is you could use the League Cup to properly implement VAR, which would be to set a centralised location away from Stockley Park, somewhere where the people involved are not referees, have no relationship with referees, will never meet referees, are trained specifically to be VAR. They're not trained to be referees and then retrained as VAR. They are trained specifically to be VAR, specifically to apply the rules of the game, not any kind of nuance, not any kind of context, just the bare-bone rules of the game. So that's one thing you could do. The second thing I'd like to see implemented is that if you are in possession of the ball and you cross the halfway line in possession of the ball as a team, not a player, as a team, you cannot turn around and pass the ball back to your goalkeeper. Like the NBA. Yes. Yeah, so what I would do is I I would say you bring in... Now, it would have to be done using a Hawkeye technology. So you split the pitch into thirds. And I would say that if you cross the halfway line in possession, you can't pass the ball back into your defensive third. Once you once the ball leaves your defensive third, you cannot pass it back. You can pass it back into your own half, but not into your own defensive third. That will force teams to play higher, force teams to be more progressive, more aggressive with the ball. I would also say that going back to what we talked about earlier with the squads, in the League Cup, it's a nine-man bench. I would mandate that at least six have to be academy graduates with at least two years in the academy before the age of 18. I think that then promotes the, the, you know, the pathway for young players. I would implement more Hawkeye technology along the lines so we've seen a bunch of times. We saw at the weekend, Liverpool should have had a corner kick when Fabinho had the ball in the opposition third. They actually brought it out of play and then cleared it. It wasn't given as a as a as a corner to Liverpool. But West Ham or West Brom nearly went up the other end and scored. We saw the United game at West Ham earlier this season where uh, Dean Henderson's clearance clearly left the field of play, but curled back into play. And United went on and scored. So I think Hawkeye to bring in something like that. 
even if it's more to do with like a, a little chip inside the ball that can tell you when it leaves the quadrant of play. Something like that would be interesting. Um, I think the idea, perhaps, and this is a little bit mad, but maybe the idea that you can sub off your goalkeeper and bring on an attacking player if you're, you know... Now, you can't nominate any, anybody to handle the ball. That's the thing. You can't not say, right, we're bringing on this guy and centre-back over there, he's gonna, he's our, our goalkeeper. All the players have outfield jerseys on. So nobody can handle the ball. You can stop the ball using your other body parts, you just can't handle the ball. So I, I think that could be the Yeah, pretty much, basically. You're pulling your goalkeeper. We see it in ice hockey all the time. And then you can make that sub and then make it back. So if you want to bring... But you can only make it back after, say, a five-minute period. So you can't do it for a corner and then change. So you couldn't bring on, say, Andy Carroll. If you're Steve Bruce, you couldn't say, right, we've got a corner, Dubravka off, Andy Carroll on, and as soon as the ball goes dead, you swap back. You've got to wait five minutes. Just something like that could be fun. You could even what, bring Sort in... of like an interchange in rugby. Basically, sort of yeah. Rugby league. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like that. I think that's quite a good rule. It's, but as you it's say... like American football, isn't it? You have situational... Teams. Situational players, yeah. I mean, you could bring in the. I mean, this. You could say, right, you know, for Southampton, James Ward-Prowse on the bench. Southampton have a free kick twenty-five yards out. They're going to bring James Ward-Prowse on just to take the free kick. He's got to stay on then for five minutes, and then you'll swap him back. You could do like you could do fun things like that. Those might diminish the game a little bit too much, but I, I do think things like not being allowed to pass back would just be an interesting little wrinkle. And might force managers to develop their teams in ways that aren't gammon and gravy. You know, it might eliminate the 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 big Sams of this world. They got nobody wants to watch teams coached by Big Sam, Hodgson. Like Crystal Palace fans are all, you know, oh Hodgie did it great for us. Like, Fuck off. Like, don't I don't hear it. Like thirteenth every year. That's nobody wants that. Have a bit of ambition about yourselves, lads. I know for a fact there's a whole bunch of Crystal Palace fans delighted that Hodgson's gone, but they're terrified to say it online. And even if the majority think it, they're all they're terrified to say it online because they know people will turn against them and be like, oh, well, you should be more grateful. He kept us up. You're four games into the, maybe five games into the Premier League season that year, lads. You weren't going down after five games. So settle yourselves down. And the lack of ambition you've showed under him has been ridiculous. Like every year, Palace get to a certain point and then just sort of give up playing. Like they're 13th this season, they finished 14th last season, 12th the year before, and 11th the year before. So you've gotten worse basically every year. Every year under the Hodge, they've gotten worse. And yet we're living the Hodge fashion. Like I saw it yesterday, and I, I'm and now look, the people I saw saying it work for a one of those you know consultancy firms that actually work with Crystal Palace. So they're being nice to a guy that they've had a relationship with. But what I would say is they're holding him up as some sort of great manager. And look, he had a he's had a a, a really interesting career. He's had some success, but I saw this thing. Oh, he's won eight league titles. Right, well, let's let's hang on and have a look at those things. So he won 
two Swedish titles in the 70s. He won five more Swedish titles in the 80s. So in the last 30 years, he's won one league title, and that was a Danish league title. Like, and we're meant to hold this up as, like, you look through the clubs he was at, the big clubs he was at, he failed at Inter, he failed at Blackburn, he failed at Liverpool, he won 37% of his games at West Brom, he's won 33.8% of his games at Palace. And even at Fulham, like, I know he got to the Europa League final, so that's that's his biggest success, is getting to a final and losing. But he still only won 39% of his games. So to hold him up as this great manager, I, just not for me. Fulham, I'll absolutely take as a success. But West Brom, I mean, one season, just over a season, 37% win ratio? No, not for me. When you lose more games than you win, same thing at Palace. You know, 160 games managed, 68 games lost, only 54-1. Like, career win ratio, 43.4%, massively boosted by his time at Malmo, where he had 165 games and won 59.4 of them. In the 80s. So, like, the early part of his career, and what he did with Aribo, Malmo, the Swiss national team, and even Copenhagen, that is what holds his career win ratio over 40%. Because aside from that, for the last 20 years, he has been abjectly poor. And like I said, back in the in the 90s, he, fa he failed at Inter, then got the Blackburn job, was dreadful, was about to get them relegated, ran away in the November, just up and left. They went down, and old Hodgie never got a team relegated. Of course he didn't get a team relegated. He left before they got relegated. But he created the mess that got them relegated. No, <laughs> Hodgie wouldn't be for me. Wouldn't be for so, me at all now. And I hope just, anybody, anybody at Anfield who dares applaud that man on Sunday should be banned for life. Anybody that applauds him. This is a fellow as well, remember, who went to play in apartheid-run South Africa during his playing career when there was an embargo against going and playing South Africa and he was more than happy to go over and take the money of the racist regime and then claim years afterwards, oh, it's because I, I wanted to play professional football. Bullshit. Bullshit. Just to give you another plug there for, for another one of your... Yours and Carl's scouted pods, Dave. I'm guessing then Hodgson isn't going to make your, your top 20 managers list from the last five years. Hodgson wouldn't make my top 1,000 managers list from the, from the last <laughs> five years. So just, just to wrap up the League Cup revamp then, I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself. I don't know what they're called. But if a game goes to penalties, rather than the traditional penalty shootout, how about you get the ball on the halfway line and you've got 10 seconds to score from there. The same, same five nominated players from each team, but rather than just one kick from the penalty spot, you're on the halfway line and you've got 10 seconds. Just you and the goalie, you run it and score if you can. And if not, you don't. And it's the same best of five. Some league brought that in. I was about to say, I thought the MLS or someone tried that in like the 90s. It was awful. Well, it was I, MLS, I have seen wasn't it, it somewhere. 
I have seen it somewhere. I can't remember what they're called. There is a specific name for that type of penalty, but I, I, I think that's quite good and a bit more skill involved rather than just your luck and chance of if a goalie guesses right or... I know it you get be, the old Charlie Adam. It definitely yeah. could be fun. Something to consider anyway, but I'm conscious that time is running on and we've got there. So one question for you both. One player's name only. We'll call it the Origi syndrome. Following his winning goal in the Champions League final, we should have sold Origi. That was where he was at his peak at his prime. We would have got the most money for him. He's contributed nothing since then, even with Mane being out of form, Jota being injured, Bobby being out of form. Klopp doesn't call on him. He's not trusted. And now if we sell him, we'll get nothing. So which one player do you think is now at that peak, at their prime, that we should sell? Stephen, I'll come to you first for that one. That's really hard because the only players who are at their peak and with a sellable value, you wouldn't sell. You wouldn't sell Salah and you wouldn't sell Trent. And you wouldn't sell Fab. But no one else is actually like in that level of form. You would say they're at their absolute peak and you would sell them. I mean, if somebody would look back at last year's form and think this year was just a one-off, I'd say Salmane, if you can get the value we would have got for him at the end of last year, because he just looks about out of sorts. He's got that thing in his demeanour at the moment where, you know, we've all seen it, we've all been watching football for 25, 30 years, when a player starts to have a certain level of body language, you feel that something's going to change and maybe that's what he needs as a change. But I don't think we've actually got a player who is at their peak who you would actually want to sell because you're not taking Salah or Trent out of this team. That's a fair shout. I can agree with that. Dave, anybody that springs to mind for you? Sadio. It's the summer to sell Sadio. With the season he's had, this is the last time you're going to get real value for him. Like, he is, what is Sadio now? Is he 28? Is he 20? I think he's 28 going 29. Sadio is 29. So this is the last time you're going to have an opportunity to get value for him. Now, it won't be the value we would have got a year ago when he was coming off a great season. But I still think there will be clubs out there that will give you 60, 65, maybe even 70 million for him, which would be double what we paid. So. I think it's time to, to cash in on yeah. Sadio. I, I, I wouldn't cash in on Mo because I think Mo is far too important. Mo's a better player. And Mo will also, I think, be able to maintain his level longer than Sadio. If I also, Sadio... I suppose say with Mo, I don't think there's a club that he would want to play for that could pay what he's worth right now. Whereas I think a PSG might pay 60-70 for Mane. Exactly. And then you've got to factor in as well, like, at the end of next season, Sadio would only have a year left on his contract, so that will compress his value even more. So, say he say he stays and has a bounce-back season. Even at that, his value would be less than it is now, because he'll be 30. You've also got to factor in one year left on his contract, so that'll drop the value as well. So, you, you've got a choice this summer. And at that point, Sadio may look at it and go, you know what, I'll stick around another year and then I'm gone. I'm just going to leave on a free. So at, the, at that, so we've got a decision to make this summer. Do we extend Sadio's contract the way we're going to do with Virgil, Moe and Fab? Or do we sell him? 
because I don't know anybody that would put their hands up to offer Sadio Mane a new contract based on what we've seen since October. And it, it's not just the lack of form. At times, it's the lack of effort. And that's something you'd never have been able to level at him before. But this season, Sadio has had spells where he just doesn't look arsed. And I understand that, you know, there's mitigating circumstances. He had COVID, potentially he has long COVID. At the same time, he's just been so, so poor that I think it is time to cash in. Like you said, PSG, if they'll give you 65, 70 million for him, I think that's a deal that makes sense for everybody. We can turn around and turn that money into somebody else, potentially Jaden Sancho. I think we can get him either way, but we could turn it into a number nine to go with Jaden Sancho and Mo or whoever we want. Sadio would be the one for me. I, I think this is the summer to sell him. I think we'll regret it if we don't. Uh, even if he bounces back, he's still going to be pushing into his 30s. He's still at the end of his peak, and I, I don't think he has... I don't think Sadio has the type of game that will maintain well into his 30s. I think Mo does. I don't think Sadio does. I think Spain or France would suit him better because he'd play a lot less. You look at Neymar, plays 20 league games a season. I think Sadio would get a similar cushy number there. And if they're about to sell Mbappe to Real, then Sadio would make a really good replacement. I agree. And I, I think this season, the nature of the season and how disrupted it's been and the no fans and the COVID... I think Marnie's got enough in the bank for what he's done for us the last four years that you could still get a worthwhile fee for him. And I love the idea, I think me and you spoke about this on Twitter, Dave, of sending Harvey Elliott on loan to Dortmund for a year or two and bringing Jaden Sancho to Liverpool. I think that makes sense for everybody involved and PSG does seem an ideal move for Marnie. So I think that's one a lot of people would be on board with. I also think, I think, I think, Sadio wants to play for a Madrid, a PSG. You know, he wants to... I know Liverpool's huge, but in the context of the last 10 years, we haven't been one of the biggest clubs. And he's won the Champions League. He's won the Premier League. He's been one of our best players. And I just get the feeling he's somebody who wants to go and do something new. And I wouldn't begrudge it the same way as I don't begrudge the fact that Ginny's probably going to go to somebody like Juve or Barca on a free. He's earned that right. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, They've given everything. And yeah. all you can do is thank them and, and wish them all the best wherever they go next. You've also got to factor in with, with Sadio. There is an existing relationship already with PSG through his agency, who are, along with PSG, currently setting up a bunch of academies throughout Africa to promote football, to promote the development of the game and, you know, to bring something to communities there. So for Sadio, who's massively involved in, you know, in charitable work in Africa, I think to be the face of that, to be the, at the forefront of that type of thing, that type of development, I think would matter massively to him. I think that's something that would really, you know, he'd look at that and think, well, you know, that's my post-playing days sorted i i will lead that that you know i'll go to psg i'll be the face of it and then when i'm finished playing i will absolutely lead that fucking march and build academies up and down africa and so 
you know, I, I do think there's, I do think there's a, I think there's a potential that he goes. He, he doesn't often play, he doesn't play like a fella who's 100% still at the club anymore. And That's I'm what I mean by his body language. Yeah, do you know what I mean? He, he just, he seems like a fella who's maybe, and, and this is not to, not to criticise Klopp, but maybe he's just had enough of being run into the ground and been asked to do so much dog work when he could go to another club and have the success a little bit easier with less trauma on his body. Yeah, like you can see, like you can see Sadio going to PSG and still being deemed as one of the one of the elite level forwards, whether he stays as a wide player or goes through the middle at 32-33. Um, whereas if he stays at Liverpool, I don't think he would be. I think he would be replaced by a Jadon Sancho-esque player. You know, if we can't afford him, I'm sure we will go and find the next Sadio, the next. Forty million pound player who can be, who's ready to take that leap to you know competing for the Premier League and Champions League. But I think I think it is time for Sadio to go. I kind of thought it was time for him to go last summer. Um, if it hadn't been for COVID, yeah, I'm, I'm I almost certain he would have gone last summer. He he done he done it like there's nothing left for him to do at Liverpool. He's won a Champions League. He's won a league title. So the like, difference with Mo is Mo. Most chasing to... records now. Yeah. Do you know? And he wants to be and... a legend. Like, he, he knows he can come to us and with the path he's had and he can stay with us and become an absolute legend. And he also knows that his only real options are, what, Bayern Munich, Juve, Real Madrid, if he wants to go and do something somewhere else. And at the moment, those clubs can't really, apart from maybe Munich, can't really afford him. And Real's eyes are solely set on Mbappe, so... They can't afford him. Like, apparently, they can't even afford him. You know, I just, I think, I think with Mo, I think Mo would rather stay. Because remember as well, Mo's not asked to do as much dog work as Sadio is. Mo's given a little bit more license to stay forward, and Mo is largely seen as the striker of the team, whereas Sadio and Bobby are the ones that kind of sacrifice quite a lot. And it's noticeable that they're the two that have broken down. Like, this is year two of Bobby being quite poor. The problem with Bobby and the reason Bobby's not the answer to this question is who would buy him? Like Bobby doesn't have the same value to any other club because he's he's system specific. So there's more chance of Bobby reinventing himself for us and having another good two or three years, but maybe as going back to being what he used to being as a number ten as an attacking midfielder. I also and think Bobby would a... be more willing to stay and come off the bench. Yeah. Bobby's got his mates here. Like, Bobby's got Fab. He's got Ali. Bobby's very happy. He's been at the club now for six years. Like, Bobby's very, very happy here. Sadio, by his own admission, doesn't really have... Like, Sadio doesn't look at his teammates as his friends. He's close with Naby. But there's also, you know, there's no real link to them other than they've got the same age and that's how they met. Bobby's a bit mad, right? Like when you see the pictures of him in the summer and he's throwing parties in Brazil and he's making the most like he Bobby is living his best life. Mm. And I think at Liverpool he's allowed to live his best life off the pitch while also yes. staying quite private. Um 
he just I, I love him because he's just he just comes across as an absolute lunatic who's making the most of every minute of being a wealthy footballer while also not getting too much into the limelight. And I think he can keep doing that for us and enjoy himself. Whereas I think Sadio wants to be a main man. I think they're the same kind of personality. And I think, you know, I think Bobby is the kind of player who he might come back from pre-season having made the most of beer and burgers, but unlike, you know, some players gets fit reasonably quickly. I think he will still be a decent player. And he could be like a Sheringham, right? He could still be with his technique and his brain could still be doing no-look goals at 36, for all we know. Yeah, because Bobby really... doesn't rely on pace or anything like that. Bobby right. relies on technique. And the only thing that might slow down is his ability to press. But, I mean, look at Milner. He's 35. The guy can't run anymore, but he still gets around the pitch. He's got, he's got an absolutely no speed at all. Yeah, but Bobby might just get deeper and deeper, right? You might That's set the thing. He could just pop an back in playing six. as an eight. Bobby could play as an eight. No problem. He like, could, I mean, with his intelligence, you could see him suddenly at 34 becoming a defensive midfielder and unlike Gerard, who we all love but actually been good at it because he gets he gets his role right he gets the positioning to block off the passes he's a really really clever defensive player so i think he's got i think you know bobby could stick around for a long time and reinvent himself a few times yeah my guess would be when bobby leaves he leaves to go back to a club in brazil yeah i think sadio like you said sadio sadio is driven to be the guy Sadio likes to be considered one of the elite footballers in world football. Unfortunately, you look at Liverpool now and you've got Moles ahead of him, Verge is absolutely ahead of him. Thiago. Thiago's ahead of him. I think Fabinho's ahead of him. I think Ali's ahead of him. But the fans, also, Trent is. Like and that's Trent's... the thing. And, and Trent is very quickly coming up behind him. And all of a sudden, he's looking at being the sixth or seventh best guy in the team. You know, and like given the consistency of Andy Robertson, if Sadio continues to be inconsistent, well, then all of a sudden, you know, you're just, you know, you're a functional squad player more than anything. Like I, I said, like... he doesn't have the ties at Liverpool. So I don't think he's as, I don't think it would be as big a, 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 a thing for Sadio to up and leave the way it would be for Bobby, because Bobby would be saying goodbye to his friends. Bobby's yeah. wife. Bobby's wife and Fab's wife and, and um, Ali's wife, they're very close as well. So there's quite a lot to be considered there. Sadio's yeah, a there must be gentleman. something about Liverpool as a place to live, because Brazilian players, like, Look, you know, Lucas, like Fabio, really, they, they just seem what? to really enjoy living in that part of the world. Suarez loved it as well, apparently. Yeah. Do you know? Um, what I like about this, I think the last one we did, Stephen, where you unfortunately missed out, me and Dave were saying, I think one of the biggest flaws you can pick with this Liverpool team or with Klopp is he's not ruthless enough and he, he has his favourites and his loyalty to these players that he did deserve his loyalty, don't get me wrong, because of all they've done and won for him. But I think this just shows us evolving and much as I hate to say it and compare him to, that's what Fergie did at United when he thought the player was coming towards the end to get rid of him before he's come to the end. And yeah, we probably could have got more for him a year or two ago, but he has still contributed. So I think now is is that peak time to call it a day with Sadio and and bring in the next one, whether it is a Sancho or whether it's somebody else. I think that that ruthlessness is what we perhaps lack. But don't think that needs to come from Klopp. 
I think if if Edwards and the recruitment team and turn around to Jurgen and say, look, we've got an offer for Sadio, he'd like to go to this club. It's a good deal for the club. However, here are the three players that we've spoken to their agents and they're willing to join and we can afford them. Which one do you want? If there was a player there that Klopp wanted, he'd be like, great, next. He's professional yeah. enough. That, but Klopp think... will never stand in the way of a player who's no. who's who wants to leave. Never. He won't do it. You look at, at his track record and he was so supportive of the Bayern players that left, even the ones that left under shady circumstances like Lewandowski, like Gotze. Klopp kept his personal relationship with them, even if the professional relationship ended. You know, he he's just, he's that type of guy. His loyalty runs both ways. It's not just to the club. It's to the, the man. Sorry, it's not just to the player in the club. It's to the man that the player is as well. He has that a friendship with them, I suppose, which is what separates them from a lot of other managers. But you mentioned that thing with Ferguson Absolutely. being ruthless. Ferguson took that from Bob Paisley. Bob Paisley's the one that said, let them get old on someone else's payroll. Don't pay a guy to get old. Like, that's one of the mistakes we've made. And that's why when you look at our, our wage bill, and it, it is out of control a little bit, we're paying 150 grand to James Milner, who doesn't really contribute on the pitch anymore. He's had a handful of good games across the last three seasons. Joel Matip, we pay big money to. plays 10 games a season. And while you can say, but Joel Matip's still a very good defender, doesn't matter if he's not on the pitch. Doesn't matter had, at all. No. Had he stayed, Matip stayed, yeah, just... stayed fit, he would have been my other one automatic to say it's time to cash in on him. Yeah. Because his reputation at the end of last season was huge, right? He'd had his best season for us, probably. He'd played... I'd, still, I'd still move him on. Even I now, even now, but I don't think he's got... We might have got 30 million for him, say, in the summer in a non-COVID world, but we might be lucky to get double figures for him now with his injuries and the fact that clubs don't have the spending power. But see, I think you'll get, with Matip, you'll get Spanish clubs, Italian clubs and German clubs that will look at Joel Matip and think, we didn't really have many injury problems before he went to Liverpool. And if you look at Liverpool, they're, they have a lot of injury problems there. So maybe it's not a Joel Matip thing. Maybe that's a Liverpool thing, and maybe in this less physical league, yeah, where he's not being asked to train at the, you know, the the level that Liverpool train at, maybe he doesn't have the same kind of injury issues. Like but the other ones, that... look at him and go, he's got what a year on his contract. We're willing to take him, but yeah, we want him for ten million euro. What is Matip's contract situation? I think he's got like three years left. Joel Matip. Contract 2024, he's got three years left. Okay, so you might get 15, and if you can get 15 for him and buy Ozanka back for 15, I think you do that. I think you do that. You get rid of the older, you know, center back. Matip will be 30 this year, he's no use if he's not fit. Quebec is 21, he's got huge potential, he's already shown what he can do. I think this summer you sell him. I think the other one that's very much in the Origi situation where, like, because you think about it, Origi was Origi was a non-factor up until the derby that season. He wasn't in the matchday squad until, like, October, November that year. Worked his way back into the plans. Had that good run. Scored the big goals. 
Everton, Newcastle, Barcelona, and then the final, his value exploded. And rather than cashing in out of misplaced loyalty, we gave him a new contract. And now we haven't been able to get rid of him, even though he hasn't given a shit for two seasons. Nat I think Phillips. We wanted is quite the, a lot of money in the summer, though, right? I think it was all sort of. He had offers. We had, we'd accepted an offer and he wouldn't go because they weren't willing to match the wages. He's on 85 to 90 grand a week. And the club that were make, that made the offer that we accepted would not match that. So he turned the deal down. We, we've had multiple offers that we were open to taking. He just will not go because we, he's on too much money. He's on the money of a star player and he's not a star player at all. The, this summer's has goal. his value as 14 million now. Yeah. But then they have Sadio's at like 90 million. So I'm, it's, it's transfer market's a bit funky with valuations. I'm not really well, I think sure. It's more the they... point that he's, he's, not, he's not worth anywhere what he was. Oh, no, definitely not. Really. No, definitely not. You would have got 30 from that summer easily. You'd have found a fool. You always find a fool every year in the transfer market. Some club with new money willing to spend, like an Aston Villa when they come into the Premier League, they would have been the perfect sucker to sell him to. Instead of buying Wesley, they could have bought him. And they were interested in him. Um, but this summer's Divock Origi is 100% Nat Phillips. Last season, we couldn't give him away. Couldn't find a buyer for the fella in the championship. This summer, we will find a sucker to buy him. Someone will give us yeah. 8 to 10 million for a player who isn't worth half that. Fully agree, and I think just conscious of time and beginning to try and wrap things up, I think a lot of what we've said has been that we won't get the value for Mane that we would have got a year or two ago, but then that flips on whoever we want to buy, we will get cheaper for what they would have cost a year or two ago. So it's all pro rata, really, isn't it? And it's all relative that, yes, we might get less for him, but then the players we want to buy will cost less as well, just because of the nature of the market. So I think that's definitely a positive to look at as well. And we all know how good a negotiator Michael Edwards is. So I think we all have the confidence, whoever we decide to sell and buy, that it will be the best deal for Liverpool. And as we said, Klopp will accept it. Klopp will play the hand he's dealt and no doubt bring us more success, hopefully. But a quick question for Dave. Do you think Naby might go? Yes. Yeah, I do. I think there's um, there's definite interest in Naby. It is. There's two things here. There's number one, what kind of value do we think he still has? So is 25 million in our pocket worth more to us to try and find someone that we think can do a better job than Naby, or is it more valuable to to us to keep Naby, hope he stays fit, and try and boost his value that way? But I do think there's a strong possibility he'll go. Um, I, I think, I think we may. There's there's three players represented by that agency: Sadio, Naby, and Marco Grujic. And I wouldn't be surprised if none of them were at the club next summer. I just think like Naby at someone like AC Milan, where he'd be the main man in midfield. AC but Milan, Lazio. Yeah, like where he, he could... can find the club. Like Atletico Madrid are rumored to be interested now. I think Simeone would probably destroy him yeah. in the first training session, but you could see why they'd want him. Like what he would offer to that team. Um, I, I think where he's the focus of a midfield, and it's not about his running; it's about what he can do with the ball at his feet. He could do really well, 
think Milan have got some interesting players. You know, they're building an interesting team at the moment. I think even Juve, if they decide to move on from their current coach, um, he might he might do well in Italy or even back in Germany. I just, yeah, I, I feel for him. I was a big fan. But I don't think Klopp trusts him. I think he trusts his body more than his play. Do you wonder if it's time for... I think Naby's only going to go down, isn't he, in each season. I think he's not at his peak, but I think it's a little bit like, in a way, like Shaq and Origi and... Um, and Nate, like you don't want them to go now, but it might be the right... Well, obviously those ones you do, but you don't want Naby to go now, but it might be the right time for him to go for the club as a whole. I want Naby to go for the good of Naby's career. Yeah, that's what I mean. Do you know? I think that's the... That's the main thing is that Naby and Ox for the same reasons. Like, it's just, it's not worked. The injuries have spoiled it. Ox, if in an alternate world where neither of them had ever gotten hurt, our midfield the last few years would have been Oxley, Chamberlain, Fabinho, and Naby. That would have been our midfield three. And people can cry about it all they want. That would have been the midfield three. Ox had locked down that right sided role until his knee exploded. Fab was obviously brought to start, and Naby was obviously brought to start. We we didn't spend sixty million on him for him not to start. Yeah, I mean, I think if Ox turned around and said, "You know what? I fancy being a backup right back with where my body is right now. I'd be happy for him to stay." But I do wonder if I think he wants to play. I don't think he'll play enough for us. I think he'd be better at with no disrespect meant whatsoever, like a Brighton in terms of the type of football they play and the demands that would be on him. I, can't think of, I mean, he's been rumoured to go to West Ham, but I can't think of anything worse for him than playing for the David Moyes team. No, yeah, unfortunately, I, I as you they're... said, it just hasn't worked out for Naby, has it? For, yeah. for numerous reasons. And as Dave said, for the good of him and for his career, I think it's now time to cut our losses however much we get for him just just to move on uh, and look for an alternative and say hopefully he can rebuild his career somewhere else but I think unless you boys have anything else I think that's we've gone up just over the hour mark that Mr Tandon likes us to keep to so anything else you boys wanted to discuss or to plug or to set the fires turning ready for next time we do this anything to discuss no no that's all no just just Alison's statue fabulous well thank you boys once again I've, I really enjoyed that a good serious chat about the future of Liverpool and to revamp the cup so that was good keep it with AI there's loads of good shows coming around the Burnley game Whenever you listen to this, the Burnley games tonight for when we're recording it. But if this comes out after it, hopefully we've got the three points and move on to Palace at the weekend. I'm sure there'll be a, a scouted out for Palace and a raw that Dave will be on both. So make sure you listen to that. And yeah, thanks for listening and we shall see you again soon.
Social Podcast Network.